This is Memorial Day weekend. A time originally to honor our soldiers, those that have fallen in battle. That actually originally began around the time of the Revolutionary War. There was some of the memorial about this time of the year. Um, it really caught on uh, after the Civil War. Our fallen soldiers were honored. And then uh, around 1970, it became kind of a holiday, and we began to celebrate uh, all people who have died, decorate uh, graves. And, and by this time now, it's mostly just a holiday. But the fact is, it is Memorial Day, and it is a time to remember fallen soldiers. And we live in an imperfect country, one that has made its mistakes. But for my money, the absolute best country ever in the history of the world. There's more freedom for everyone. There's a better lifestyle for everyone. Uh, than most country ever, and none that I'm aware of. God has blessed us. It was started on godly principles, and I'm thankful to call America my home. And I am thankful for each and every one of those soldiers, young men that gave their lives to create the country that we live in today. If you currently serve, thank you. But those that have given their life, paid the ultimate price that you and I could set here in freedom this morning is not to be taken lightly. And certainly they should be remembered. And if you have a soldier that uh, gave his life, I hope you uh, remember him today. Not all soldiers that gave their lives died. There are those that come home with lives forever changed. And we owe them a debt of gratitude as well. Thank you to them as well. But I have to tell you that not all battles are fought on battlefields. Some of those battlefields are spiritual. And there's certainly some spiritual heroes that have gone before us. There's some that have fought the battle so that the gospel is here for us today. And that's not to be taken lightly either. Spiritual warfare is a real thing. And whether you like it or not, depending on how you're fighting it, you're still in the battle. You may have laid down and given up, but that battle goes on anyway. It's just a choice. I pray today that we stand up and we get in the battle. In fact, uh, as I was putting this together, a uh, thought came to me. Winning the spiritual battle is how we win the physical and the mental battle. If you're fighting mental and physical battles today, there may be some wins, but the true win is to win the spiritual battle, to get in, to surrender your life to God. And I pray that you have or will before you leave here today. Certainly that opportunity uh, is available you know, if you were to walk or take a car or a bicycle or any mode of transportation a couple of blocks down the street and turn to your left, 
you would turn into the Derby Cemetery. If you were to drive into the southeast quadrant of that cemetery and look through the headstones, you would find the headstone of a young man that attended church here. Dylan Breen didn't grow up in church. He was playing at the uh, skate park across the street. A young teenager deep into drugs and that lifestyle and that world and really no chains to hold him back. Somehow, Dylan found his way across the street and attended church here. And he began to attend, and God got a hold of him, changed his life. Dylan even answered a call to ministry. And as God did a work in his life, what's great about God is He changes your life, He changes your heart, and He don't change your personality. You're still who you were, and I'm still who I am. My poor wife was working on that, but you know, it's a, it is what it is, right? And Dylan was still the same guy after he got saved that he was before. Dylan was just as apt to show up wearing his favorite SpongeBob SquarePants pajama pants as he was to come in in jeans. It was just Dylan. Dylan once got a new hat, and Dylan wasn't into new hats. So in order to break in his new hat to make it acceptable to wear, he threw it in the front seat of his car and sat on it for a month. Then it was acceptable to wear. He had it broke in. That was, that was Dylan. That was kind of Dylan in a nutshell. There's a lot more to him, but he's just a great guy. And he was that guy, you know, uh, fun to be around. Dylan had a great effect on my life, my, my family's life. He was good friends with my children. And the day that he was in the serious accident, industrial accident, and was now in the hospital was devastating to our church. It was devastating to my family, my children. I remember standing at the foot of his bed as he laid there in the hospital. He didn't look other than they had shaved one side of his head like he was dying, but he did. Dylan will be memorialized within the next month. See, I have a granddaughter, and I'm as proud of her as I can be. She's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I unashamedly say that. God has blessed us, and our second grandchild will be born within the month. And Theo Taylor will be named after Dylan. He had that kind of an impact on my family's life. You see, Dylan... When the opportunity came, he felt a call to ministry. And when he felt a call, when he felt had the opportunity, it was at the snap of a finger. He spent the night sleeping on a sidewalk with the homeless in downtown Wichita to minister to him and be a part of that. That was the real Dylan. And that's the Dylan that God took home. I believe he was 21 years old. But if you were to go down there and find Dylan's headstone and look at it, it has a birth date, and it has a death date. And all of Dylan's life is the dash in between. Now obviously, your death date hasn't happened. You're here. But your birth date has, 
and your dash is being written. And I just wonder, if today was your day, what's your dash look like? Is it what you would want to look like? If you were to stand before an almighty God in a couple hours, is your dash going to look like what you would want it to? And I know that's a heavy subject, but it's a subject that God gave me. And I want to share it with you this morning. If you would, stand with me. You can turn to Matthew, the 26th chapter. I want to look at 11 verses, verses 6 through 16. Jesus is in Bethany. It's only a couple of days before the Passover. Just a few days before He is crucified. And He's uh, in a man's home. He's eating. He's relaxing. And here's what happens. Now when Jesus was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up, up to Him and with an alabaster flask of a very expensive ointment, and she poured it on His head as He reclined at table. And then the disciples saw it, and when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. In pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought opportunity to betray him. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, to worship you. God, you said to make your house a house of prayer. And God, we have. Lord, we've prayed to you. Lord, there was a group here last night praying and, and praying for this service, praying for this people. And God, we just ask that your spirit would honor the prayers that have been prayed. And God, that you would flood this place. Lord, that your spirit would breathe through this place. God, that you would begin to do a work in hearts of souls of men. God, that you would have your will in your way. God, that you would open our hearts, minds, souls, and ears. Lord, you would take these stammering lips. God, that you would speak through them. They would hear from you and not from me. We'll give you the honor, the glory, and the praise, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to work through this, and I want to start with the first two verses. Verses 6 and 7 say, Now when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him and with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. A couple of things to notice in that first verse there. He was in the house of Simon the leper. Lepers were not allowed to be a part of society. If Jesus and his disciples were in the home of Simon the leper, he had been healed. Most likely a miracle done by Jesus. Bethany had other miracles. If you'll remember, Lazarus was raised from the dead in Bethany. 
And I have to give you a little bit out of the book of Tony. If you'll go and study this, it's written several times. But the lady who came and broke the alabaster box, I think, was probably Mary, the sister of Lazarus who he had raised. And I'll explain a little bit more about that in a minute. It may not be. It may have been Mary Magdalene who he had cast seven devils. It may have not been either one of those. It may have been another lady. But the fact is, a woman came and anointed Jesus. He was in the house of a leper, someone that had been healed. The story is actually told in the other three Gospels as well in different uh, forms and fashions uh, from different views. And it's worth studying and reading. The ointment, the ointment that was poured over Jesus it's called spike nard. It's from the uh, plant nard. It grows on the Ganges River in northern India. It's hard to get. It didn't come easy. It had come clear from northern India. It was now in Israel, and this lady had it. It was expensive. 300 denarii is the number that's put on it. It's hard to know an exact figure, but if you look at... Um, the economy then and now, it appears that this ointment probably cost somewhere around $55,000. Just a little bit more than a two-by-four at Lowe's. <laughs> Some of you have been and checked it out. You know I'm about right. $55,000 would have been a life savings. The reason I think it very possibly was Mary, the sister of Lazarus, with nothing to prove it is, after Lazarus died, they didn't want Jesus to roll the stone away because Lazarus stunk. And I suspect that somebody spent their life savings to buy some embalming. It's what it was typically used for, is to embalm. And I think she had bought it either for herself or for Lazarus or someone in the family. But suddenly, she answers the call from God. And with, it had to have been spontaneous. It couldn't have been planned because Jesus was eating. He was eating with the disciples. He's in the middle of a meal. And this lady walks in with her alabaster box. And she doesn't open it and pour a little bit and save more for later. It says she broke it. Alabaster is a rock that's easily um, hewn out or, or carved out, and she broke it. That meant she wasn't saving any back, but she opened it and gave it all to Jesus. Preparing his body for burial, even a few days before his crucifixion. But as so often the case, when somebody does something out of the ordinary, those of us begin to murmur. What in the world was that? What she thinks she's doing? Why in the world waste all that just pouring it on Jesus now? And verses 8 and 9 says, And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. By the way, 
if you study this in the other scriptures, it was Judas who was leading the uh, murmuring, got it going. You see, he'd been dipping his hand in the till. He'd been taking money. He'd been stealing the money that came in to the disciples for the use of building the kingdom. And he just watched $55,000 poured out on Jesus. And if it had been sold, he'd have had an opportunity to stick it in his pocket. And he wasn't happy about it. So what did he start doing? Start trouble. That's funny. If you'll trace trouble back, you'll often find something like this at the, uh, at the base of it. And suddenly, now we want to give it all to the poor. But you know, when we serve Jesus, when we serve the Lord, the things we do don't always make sense to this world. But it sure made a lot of sense in the next world. She did it out of pure love for Jesus. That's why I say it's spontaneous. She, she didn't hold back when she felt the Spirit move that she should do this. It really doesn't make sense. Why would you show up in someone else's house, break open expensive, and pour it over their body? That doesn't make sense. He's eating. Let, let him alone. Give him a few minutes. But she was worshiping Jesus. She was giving him the best that she had. She did it out of pure love. You see, he had changed her life. Whether it was Mary who had had seven demons cast out, she was a prostitute, demon-possessed. I wonder if she made that money through prostitution and now she had turned it over to God and she poured it all over him if it was her. If it was... Mary, the sister of Lazarus, she'd watched him raise her brother from the dead. And maybe she had bought it for her own burial. But forget her own burial. She loved Jesus. And he said he was going to die and go away. So she gave it to him. Think about it. I don't know where it came from. I don't know who this lady was. I just know who I think she was. Maybe it was somebody with a total different story. But the fact is... Jesus had touched her life. She had surrendered her life, and now she gave him the best that she had. I also like the fact that when the murmuring started, nowhere does she answer it. We'll see in just a minute. She let Jesus fight that battle. Folks, let me tell you something. When you're doing things for God, there's some folks that are going to murmur about you. I've experienced it a little bit. And you will, probably to a greater degree. But the fact is, when you give your life to God and you begin to serve Him and you begin to do things that don't just fit the mold in this world, somebody's going to murmur against you. Somebody's going to point it out. Let Jesus fight that battle. He knows better than you do. He didn't tell you to fight the battle. He said to let him fight it. He just asked you to do what he asked you to do. And I want you to think about that this morning. Sadly, it was the people in her own group that were doing the murmuring against her. I've said it. I've seen it. That's why I could repeat it. The church is so often quick to eat their own, unfortunately. 
we have to be careful. I think it's a, uh, it's a warning to us to be careful. Get on our knees and pray for somebody before you talk about them. You can't hate somebody you're praying for. It's impossible. Try it. I also wonder this. Think about who it was that was doing the murmuring. It was the disciples. Jesus knows all things. So Jesus knows the conversation, even if it was being hid from him. Jesus was hearing it, and he knew what the conversation was. I just wonder what Jesus' thoughts must have been as he sat there listening to them, knowing that every one of those 12 disciples serving him, it was going to cost them their life. See, they didn't know that. They thought he was going to set up his earthly kingdom. He hadn't been crucified yet. They were convinced of it. They were waiting for it to happen. They were going to be leaders. But Jesus knew what was coming for them. And folks, when, we, when, it, when it's us doing the murmuring or we're being murmuring against, if we're serving God, we don't know what's coming. We don't know what God does. And I just wonder, Jesus must have just kind of been disgusted. And usually if we're the ones doing the murmur, he's just kind of disgusted. Stop it. <laughs> I think that's what he would say. He handled her problem. He spoke up for her. In fact, in verses 10 and 11, he said this. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Jesus was constantly quoting the Bible, the then known Bible, the Old Testament. And once again, he's quoting the Bible. If you were to turn to Deuteronomy, the 15th chapter, the 11th verse, here's what he just quoted. He said, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. Listen, if we give all to Jesus, the poor and the needy will be taken care of whether it's through us or through His church or however. If God is first, we were just praying about it. We just took an offering a while ago. And the prayer was, God, take this and do, do great things with it. Listen, He took loaves and fishes and fed 5,000. He did it on multiple occasions. He doesn't really need our money. What He needs is your all. The money's just a piece of it. Whether you have a lot or a little. He does, it doesn't matter. He can multiply it. He can do what he wants with it. He needs you. He needs me. That's what he asked for. And that's what he was asking for. Here's what he's talking about. What is amazing about this act of hers is it forever solidified her memorial. Jesus said, in pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. The statement was made to me after the last service. I think it's valid. You know, this would have had a beautiful fragrance after Jesus was crucified. I wonder if when he rose from the dead, he still smelled like this. Maybe not. I know they washed and cleaned him and, and, and uh, took care of his body, but the fact is, she had prepared his body for a burial. 
He said, truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. She forever changed her life right there. Now, the disciples who were murmuring against her, she really kind of got off easy. She gave her life savings. It cost every one of them their lives. Judas turned from Jesus, calls him the son of perdition. He was the first one to die. He was, he was gone before any of them. I think John may have died somewhat natural because they couldn't kill him. They tried to tar and feather him and other things, dipped him in boiling oil, and they couldn't kill him. Most of the rest of the disciples died for the belief that they had to spread the gospel. And here, this lady's memorial is given to her. Why? Because when she was told, when she felt the Spirit lead her in a direction, she went. And she gave absolutely her best with no remorse. I find that absolutely incredible. And I wish I could tell you that I'm following in those footsteps. I can tell you that I'm trying to follow in those footsteps. I'm trying to learn. And I hope you are, or that you will before the day is over. You know, growing up, I grew up in a small town. I happened to know a couple of ladies in that town. They were, by the time I was born and old enough to know anything about them, they were widowed. They owned homes right next to each other. Like I said, two sisters. Um, and as I got older, uh, to buy my first car, uh, I mowed yards. And I mowed their yard. Yards. And, uh, and so their names were Minnie and Ruby. And Minnie, uh, she had a house full of antiques. She was kind of all about her things. And she liked the idea that I mowed both yards at the same time she always wanted to be at the same time because it was cheaper that way. My dad had negotiated that deal <laughs> for me. And, uh, and so I would always mow their yards together. These two elderly ladies, and I'm talking about in their 80s and then into their 90s, they had an evening ritual. They had the little tool, and in the cool of the evening, they would always be in their yards digging dandelions, fighting that battle. A never-ending battle, often lost, uh, but they never gave up on it. They were, they were always worried about the dandelions in their yard. Uh, the problem is that the neighbors weren't, so it was, they were never going to win it. But Minnie and Ruby, Minnie liked her things. But Ruby, Ruby had been born, and she was born in 1908, she remembered the first car she ever seen. She remembered the first airplane she ever seen. She had gotten married and had six children and was pregnant with the seventh when her husband, who was a blacksmith, came home from the shop with a horrible headache. He was apparently very strong, as the story's been told, he, could, he was a little man, but he could back up to a horse, grab his hind legs, and hold a horse up by the hind legs while someone shoot it. Pretty stout fella. But that night he come home with a headache. 
And before it was over with, she was a widow. She had an aneurysm and died that night. She was about 35 years old. Six children and one on the way. At this time, there wasn't insurance. There wasn't a way to take care of the children. But she determined to take care of her family when a time when you farmed out children like that kept them together. And there were terrible times. I've, I've heard those stories often for, she's my great-grandma. It was my grandma Ruby. I got to know her, obviously, years later. But Grandma Ruby kept her children together. She never had a car, never drove a car, never had a driver's license. Somehow or another, there was always somebody available to take her wherever she needed to go. Grandma Ruby was the sweetest woman I've ever met and had faced some of the most horrible times you can imagine. How they were fed, anybody could tell. There's all kinds of stories that her children told. Grandma Ruby was absolutely beloved by our family. I'm a third generation from her. And I could see her house from my window as I grew up. Always went to church with her. She, she took her children to church and was a part of that same church as I was growing up. I grew up in that church with her. Sweetest lady. I can still see her pull that little coin purse out. She lived on Social Security and put her money into the tithe. She never missed giving to the offering. She gave her best. She gave her absolute best. And her family, even to this day, she died in 2006. Her family to this day, at least twice a year, all of her descendants gather together on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Obviously, Grandma Ruby comes up. She gets talked about. The family that I'm a part of is one of those families that likes to be together. Why? Because of one woman. We all get together and we all talk at the same time and nobody listens. It's that kind of a get-together. And it's a good time had by all. Everybody thinks they had a good time when they go home and nobody knows what anybody else said. <laughs> and I'm repeating what I've heard said, but I've observed it too and been there and been a part of it. All in honor of Grandma Ruby. Now, it frustrated me when I was a little kid. I told you I grew up in a town of about 500 people, and the whole town called her Grandma Ruby. And I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. That's my grandma. But as time went on, I become, began to understand why she was called Grandma Ruby by everybody. Now, she never won a popularity contest. She was never elected to anything. She really didn't have anything that anybody wanted except for love and strawberry cakes. And they about fight over those. She made the absolute best apple butter I have ever had in my life, hands down, coming and going. Man, it was good. As I would say if you were, I'll just tell you, make a freight train, take a dirt road to get some. Just tell you right now. Some of you will take a while to think about that, but where I come from, it seems to make sense. The fact is, Grandma Ruby gave her best to God to date there's at least five preachers in her family tree that I know of. Most of her children uh, attended church regularly, and I believe all of them are in heaven today. 
Most of her, she has grandchildren now that are passing away. Most of them are in church, have been teachers, um, some preachers obviously, most of them involved in church. Now we're down to the fourth and fifth generation in church. Serving God is still a big part of our family. Why? One woman gave her life to God, stayed sweet, treated people right, loved God, and gave her best. What's her memorial? What's her dash? Well, we're still talking about it today. And really, her dash is still being written. There's a birth date and an end date, but the memorial that is given is for her. Sadly, all memorials don't end like that. In verses 14, 15, and 16, this story continues on. It says, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver over to you? If I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. You try to compare, once again, the economy of that day to this day. Judas sold Jesus for about $4,500. We just watched a lady give her best in her life and pour $55,000 over his head, a life savings. Everything that God had given her in some form or fashion. And a man who was upset because he didn't get to steal the money and put it in his pocket is so upset that he walks away and he sells his Savior and his soul for $4,500. He thought he had one up. He thought he had one upped it. Well, if it's going to go this way, then I'll go this way. And this is what he did. And now, what happens? He's the first. He's the first that was in that room to die. And he does it by his own hand. He commits suicide, hangs himself, throws the money back. He had the same opportunity this lady did. It wasn't like Jesus didn't know that he was stealing. He just hadn't confronted him. He continued to give him opportunities to turn his life over and to change it. And Judas had refused. The love of money, but it really was more than just the love of money. It was his own selfish, prideful, I want my way. It was all about Judas when Judas was around. And it cost him eternity. This lady spontaneously was willing to give God everything. And she gained eternity. What a powerful, powerful picture of the opportunity given to each and every one of us. Chris, as you come, I know this is a heavy, but I felt like it was what God would have. Somebody needed to hear these words. Somebody needed to hear this why I don't know but God knows 
The question I would ask, once again is, what's your dash look like? We go down here and look, I'll guarantee you there is a cemetery full of people. Many of them wish that they could change some things in their dash. You're alive today and the end of it hasn't happened yet. The end date hasn't been put. Obviously God's given you an opportunity to change what your dash looks like. Are you going to give everything to God? Are you going to let Him do great works through you? Or will you selfishly turn and walk away from Him?